0: Good morning, and welcome to another special edition of Work Human Radio. I am your host, Mike Wood. And as part of our Keeping Work Human series, our CHRO Steve Pemberton is going to be talking to a couple of mental health experts today. He's going to be talking to Dr. Dan Tomasulo and Tamara Raspberry, both of whom have been on the podcast before and are friends of the Work Human community. And we're going to be talking about tips for improving mental health and wellness during this tough time. So please take a listen to uh, Steve's interview with Dan and Tamara. Camera.
1: Hi, everybody. It's Steve Pemberton, the Chief Human Resource Officer for WorkHuman. And today, as part of our Keeping Work Human series, I'm joined by two wonderful guests uh, who are going to discuss mental health and well-being. The first is Dan Tomasulo, PhD. Dan is a core faculty member for the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute, teaches college at Columbia University. He also writes a daily column called Ask the Therapist, or psychcentral.com. I'm also joined by Tamara Raspberry, HR manager at National Community Reinvestment Coalition. She has been in the nonprofit space for more than 15 years and has a passion for removing the stigma of mental illness in the workplace. Dan, let's start with you. Where are you calling from?
0: I'm calling from New Jersey, Asbury Park more specifically. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: I married a Jersey girl some 23 years ago
0: smart man <laughs> that, that that i that i am and a
1: humble one too <laughs> yeah uh how's the family doing
0: uh everybody's in uh in good shape uh, you know we're uh counting our blessings uh really every day and um you know trying to do as much to help others as we can because um, everybody here is feeling very fortunate uh and uh also you know just kind of watching the news in little little drips and drabs, uh, but um, really really feeling grateful for what we can do and have here. I, I like how you said
1: little drips and drabs. I I actually put on a kind of uh, mental armor when I turn yep. on Yeah, yeah,
0: yep. uh, it's a good way to go. Uh, I I recommend no more than fifteen minutes a day. You know, three, five, one, ten, one, five, but no more than that because it'll it'll overdo. Yeah, and uh,
1: Tamara, where are you calling us from? I'm calling from
2: Washington, D.C.
1: Ah, and how are you and your family doing?
2: We are doing very well, thank you for asking. Um, I do have a daughter who's considered an essential worker, so she's still been going to work while I have had the luxury of being able to work from home, but still, thankfully, she's well, and the rest of my family is doing well. So we're grateful for that.
1: We are, we're We're glad to hear that. Uh, Dan, I, I want to turn back to you um, and talk a bit about you know kind of the the, um, the early stages here of what drew you to what we're going to be spending some time uh, talking about, and that's positive psychology. Uh, what brought you to that field?
0: Uh, well, it's um, it's it wasn't natural. I'll I'll say that. Uh, I went through a really rough time about ten years ago, personally, and. Um, there's nothing worse than a depressed psychologist, you know, uh, because if people come with their depression and they would tell me their tale, and I'd be thinking to myself, huh, you think you got it bad? Uh, I never said that out loud, but would one you- of the oh. things, <laughs> yeah, smart <laughs> to do that. You know, so I went through my own therapy and my own uh, supervision as I was doing my clinical work and teaching. But uh, the the truth is none of the things I had learned in psychology, none of them, um, really helped that much. They were actually kind of pitiful. Um, when I really said, oh, you know, I've been selling this for years, doing this for years, but now, man, I am in a rough spot, and uh, I I don't know how to get out of this. And a friend of mine was a positive psychologist and uh, said, oh, you gotta go see what uh, Marty Seligman is doing over at UPenn when he's having a conference, and, blah, blah, blah. and I said, I am miserable, and I'd like to stay miserable, thank you very much. I don't wanna be around 2,000 positive psychologists. That's like the last thing I want. Uh, but he didn't pay any attention to me, which is what good friends do. And uh, he just he just got us tickets to um, the conference for the weekend. And uh, oh my goodness, I I was originally a researcher, and when I started to hear the research, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, uh, my goodness, if if what they're doing is even marginally true, we're on the threshold of something unbelievable uh, because the research was just extraordinary and it was from around the world. Uh, so little by little, by little, by little, I, I started trying some of the things that they were talking about. And, uh, within about 30 days, I really felt better. I got fascinated by the fact that, uh, there was this whole new toolbox. It wasn't, you know, not being depressed isn't the same as being happy. Uh, so the tools that we had for unlocking a depression had nothing to do with feeling better or joy. Um, so uh, to make a long story longer, I uh, I applied to the program at the uh, Masters of Applied Positive Psychology at UPenn, and I certainly didn't need another graduate degree. I had bunches of those, but I thought, eh, at least this way I'll get committed. And when I joined, I found that I was uh, the first psychologists to join that, that they let in. It had been going for seven years, but they hadn't let a psychologist with my background in. And when I asked them why, they said, well, you're not a normal psychologist. I'm still not sure what they meant by that. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I, I, uh, I graduated with that. And then uh, literally the day after graduation, I was invited to join the faculty there. And uh, from there, um, I, I started uh, teaching at Columbia in their uh, Spirituality Mind Body Institute and in the uh, positive psychology course in the clinical psych program. So it's just opened up a world to me that uh, I didn't have access to, but I never would have chosen it, never would have gone there unless I had really felt the pain first. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to return. We're going to return to that, to that point about, uh, you know, the experience. Uh, but but Tamara, what, what brought you to your passion for removing the stigma of mental illness in, in the workplace?
2: Well, actually, similar, similarly, I, I can never say that word to Dan. Um, I've had my own experience with depression and anxiety. And so going through that experience myself got me really interested in helping other people deal with it, and because I was already an HR professional, it just naturally led to me wanting to help the people that I work with, and then broader than that, how other people can help the people they work with deal with different types of mental health issues in the workplace, because, you know, we tend to think that people have all these things going on outside of work, and when they come into work, that's supposed to stop. And they're supposed to be these perfect employees and just work and they don't have anything else going on. And that's not reality. So I think it's very important for us to remove the stigma because so many more people are dealing with these issues than people even realize because people are afraid to talk about it. And when people talk about it, you'll learn how you can help people. You'll learn how you can make a better workplace that supports people who are great employees, but they just may be dealing with something in that moment.
1: Mm. I I saw firsthand what you are describing just last week uh, with our our company. Uh, So one of the things that we have been focused on is resilience training in the midst of COVID-19, adapting, adjusting. And uh, the facilitator in the chat, functionality of zoom asked people just to put in what it was they were actually wrestling with and the blur of things that came uh as i was reading them i i certainly understood that while we as a company work human we're focused on gratitude recognition thank you and that naturally creates just a, a very optimistic upbeat Culture and that's been the case for many years, but looking at those challenges that people were facing, your your point about that those things did not end uh, because they walked through the front doors, whether they're physical doors or virtual doors, uh, and, and it was actually COVID nineteen that accelerated all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, your comment there um, and and Dan's too, um, you know, makes me say, well, boy everybody is battling something. And the only question is the height of it. Mm-hmm. you shouldn't necessarily wait for it to be, to be revealed. Um, so thank you for that. I wanted to ask about COVID-19, both of you uh, specifically, uh, to what degree has this accelerated a lot of the things that you have seen? I mean, we've been, I argue, in kind of this challenge of Igniting, raising the the level of awareness of mental health and an employer's responsibilities impact. How has COVID nineteen altered that that conversation, or or not? Dan, let's start with you.
0: Yeah, I guess um, uh, one of the things I I can um, talk about is that for the last. Couple of years, maybe the last two years or so, um, my area of concern in positive psychology has been the study of hope. And uh, so um, I've, uh, I'll have a book coming out in June called uh, Learned Hopefulness. And um, this is something that over the last uh, couple of years, maybe the last five or six years, there's been more and more research done, but the researchers were doing it in a silo. So what the medical people were doing really didn't matter to the psychologists, didn't matter to the educators, didn't really matter to the business people. So I had the opportunity to kind of read all that uh, literature. And it's like the the uh, the parable about the three blind men holding the elephant. You know, one grabs the tail and says, oh, it looks like a snake. One grabs the, the, the leg and says it looks like a tree, and the other one grabs the ear and says it looks like a, a bird. Uh, so you you start asking yourself a question, what would hope really look like if all the research was right. Um, And in putting that together, I learned some powerful things that I I would never have realized uh, two months ago uh, would become so important with COVID-19. The first is that uh, hope is the only positive emotion that requires negativity or uncertainty to be activated. So of all the positive emotions like gratitude or kindness or anything with well being, hope requires something to be uncertain or negative. Well, in the last couple of weeks, those boxes are checked. <laughs> so so um it, it it's done that way because if you don't have uncertainty or negativity, there's no need for hope. Um, And so I I started following that line of research about what allows people to move from, let's say, regressive coping, where they're avoiding things, to transformational coping, where they're learning about how do you take something that's not okay and find ways to not just see it as an obstacle, but to see it more as a challenge or as an opportunity. And in that transformational space, there's some amazing research and literature. And so I had put together, you know, dozens of these interventions and researched all this stuff uh, ahead of time, thinking that "Ah, maybe 10 people will be interested in this. (laughs) Well, what's happened now is that people want this information now, uh, because they want to know, I'm stuck with this. I have this pro. I can't do this anymore. My goals have changed. This has changed. That has changed. And I think what's lovely at this point is that science does have some real tools that can help Um, but that that's been the thing that I've been uh, both excited about that we have something to bring and uh, kind of stunned about how how much need there is
1: yeah that that's a powerful title learned hopefulness Uh, as as is the the undergirding of that concept which is that there is something over on that other scale that is adverse in nature and requires some degree of, uh, of overcoming, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like coming requires overcoming And Absolutely, absolutely. Well, yeah. Tamara, uh, same thing, COVID-19, uh, how has this impacted, accelerated uh, your work?
2: Excuse me, I would say that one of the unintended outcomes of this is that a lot of people are feeling feelings that they are not used to, the uncertainty, Mm. the, you know, so many people at the same time are worried about their jobs, worried about their families, things like that. So people are starting to have a better understanding of almost like what it feels like to be anxious, what it feels like, to be depressed, what it feels like to not know what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. Whereas maybe six months ago, they would have had no idea about these types of things. They're just going on with their life day to day. Everything's great. So I have conversations with people now where one of my colleagues actually said to me, oh my goodness, this must be what it feels like to have anxiety. Because Every day they wake up, they're like, I don't know what's going on. I'm worried about everything. I don't want to go to the grocery store, da, 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 So these type of conversations are kind of making people have a better understanding of what people who are dealing with other mental health issues on a regular basis are going through, even though it's kind of a like a cute thing, but they're starting to see, oh, hey, I'm feeling this way and I'm not like a crazy, weird person. So maybe other people who are having these challenges on a regular basis are okay, too. We're just all going through something.
1: Yeah, and and the next leap is to what degree can you help alleviate some of those challenges that people are experiencing? Uh, You know, it's just just, um, the very nature sometimes of humanity uh, doesn't allow you to fully understand the depth of a struggle. Uh, until you yourself experience it. Uh, you see this with a lot of other movements as well, where, um, you know, just sometimes there's a loss um, and you realize, okay, that's exactly what that person, uh, you know, is is dealing with. I I do wonder, um, you know, at the same time, you know, for both of you, the impact on people uh, in particular, um, you know, what has that been? that you're working with specifically.
2: Yeah. I would say also um, from the HR standpoint, it has opened up a lot of more conversations about being flexible, um, Mm -hmm. allowing people to have different work. Excuse me have different work styles, different work schedules, um, understanding that people, since a lot of schools are closed, you know, they're having to take care of their children while they're working as well. So understanding, you know, more of my supervisors now are seeing the day-to-day issues that their staff goes through, you know, while they're having to be home with their family. Like if you're a two-parent family and both of you are working from home, and then you have three kids that you're homeschooling as well, that's a whole different world than you're used to dealing with when you were going to work and taking the kids to school. So a lot of my managers now, I'm having conversations with them about how to be able to support their staff who's going through these things, and, um, you know, just be flexible about how they're able to get their work done, and be understanding that, we are all experiencing something that we've never experienced before. So there is no one way to deal with this. We're all still learning how to deal with it in our own ways. So that those are the conversations that I'm really having with my colleagues is we have to be open and understanding and flexible with our teams about how we can address these challenges that we're all facing, even if they are somewhat different.
1: Mm. And Dan, on the other side of the ledger, what, what would be the message um, uh, to uh, employees or and anyone really now who uh, are, are struggling with all of those things that we have historically assigned to, to mental health? What are the things that we can do? Uh, you know, we, we talked at the very outset, right, about, um, uh, you know, be guarded about what news you digest and, and the like. But what are the other things that, you know, that, that, that we can all do uh, to address some of the anxiety and certainty that Tamara is describing.
0: Yeah, I, I've likened negative thoughts uh, to pebbles and positive thoughts to feathers, and uh, you know the question becomes: Can can the the feathers ever balance out the pebbles? Uh, well, the short answer is yes, but you need a lot of them, uh, and you need to not put too many pebbles on on the other side. So, if you're looking to try and get a little more balance in your life, uh, there's a couple of things that we know, particularly from the research, that uh, will work really really. really well. The first is calibration. Um, The number one thing that's happened, at least in my experience, is that everybody's goals, whatever your goal was for this year or wherever you were going or thinking you were going to go, that goal is probably gone. And so what happens is that when people lose sight of a goal, they lose their agency, their motivation, and that's the thing to, uh, to understand that if you lose that goal, um, instead of just saying, well, uh, nothing's going to work because I can't have that goal. It's time for recalibration. So recalibration becomes an important ingredient in helping to kind of get your sea legs with this. And in the recalibration, the thing I've been advocating for the most, because it, it gives us the most tread, it, it, are our micro goals, uh, so, you know, you get up in the morning. And I had, a, I had a client the other day who said, I just found out that my workmate is an 11 year old. And she said, you know, the kids are home, they're home from school, this is happening. And so th- there's got to be a calibration between what you thought was going to happen and what can be done now. And in that calibration, when we talk about a micro goal, it means uh, planning a meal as as uh, kind of lame as that might sound. You're talking about chopping carrots, uh, getting the other vegetables ready, you know, having small goals that are gonna occupy the next 20 minutes because something happens when we get invested in these really small moments of presence and uh, what's called dispositional mindfulness. We dive into the moment in such a way that we're not so worried about the past. We're not so worried about the future. We're chopping the freaking carrots. <laughs> and that kind of brings our attention there as we start to plan things out. So I, I'm really encouraging people to have several micro goals uh, during the day to just take Take that next chunk of time. You know, the 12-step programs have always talked about one day at a time. Well, it's pretty much one hour at at a time right now. Yeah, and
1: that is one of uh, the unintended realities of COVID-19 because it has brought such a tremendous loss of life and um, and specifically to matriarchs and patriarchs of families. I don't see being talked about a, a great deal. Uh, and that, um, you know, the, that the desire uh, that when we shuffle off this old coil, as the saying goes, that we do so with a degree of dignity and with family around us. And I still, to be honest, I have not wrapped my head around that yet. Um, though I've not experienced that, you can see, uh, the, because there's no words that you can offer up to a family in a moment like, like, like that. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I try to find, you know, I, you know to, to your earlier recommendations, um, uh, I try to find some good in how uh, the folks on the front lines are trying to be caregivers, not medical caregivers, but almost like spiritual caregivers in, yeah. in the last moments, uh, you know, of, of, of life. Um, and, and I think, you know, Dan, you describe something that I find us doing that many of us can do. It's, uh, you call it recalibration within work human, we call it pivoting. Yeah, yes, right. And, um, and it's almost like it's the speed of the pivot now. Yeah, just mired in. Okay, that goal is no longer going to happen, and we can't do it, and we can't do it. And and especially for people leaders, the more that you spend time over there in the goal being denied or even delayed you're actually unintentionally certainly contributing maybe to some of the anxiety uh, Absolutely, yeah. earlier, you know, so PS people leaders, we have this opportunity to kind of, you know, be that, uh, you know, be that guiding uh, positive force uh, that, that, uh, that we know uh, that we need. I want to ask both of you something else about, um, how you, your, your sense of where we were, uh, where humanity was prior to COVID-19, you know, in, in terms of the ways in which we interacted, uh, and what seemed to me to be an extraordinary emphasis on negativity, just generally, it didn't matter where you <laughs> went since, you know, what, what, what have you. Are you beginning to see some reckoning, and I'll ask you this first, time, are you beginning to see some reckoning of perhaps the way that we were? uh is, is 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 really led to no good end in that we're having to recalibrate uh mm-hmm. as Dan described.
2: I Yet. am seeing that in a way I'm seeing people suddenly having realizations of um that they are that they have were have worried about things that they didn't have to worry about or um having interact with people that were negative or they shouldn't have been having like now it's kind of a focus on what's really important um, type of thing, even speaking to your point about if you lose someone in your family, technically you can't even really have a funeral because you're not supposed to have that many people together in a room right now. So that is a world changer for people who are losing their loved ones right now. So like on top of the loss, you can't even really grieve in the way that you would normally grieve with your family. So I'm seeing a lot of people talking about, you know, the importance of family, the importance of staying together, you know, what's really important. A lot of people coming together to try to send materials to your healthcare workers, things that they weren't really thinking about before, talking about, you know, the importance of our grocery store workers and our bus drivers and all those people who a lot of times are overlooked, but now they're the people who we really need to get the things that we really need done. So I'm seeing a lot of shift in focus on those type of things where people are starting to realize that everyone has a role, everyone is important. And it's not just because of your job or how much money you make or things like that. So I am seeing people start to have that kind of a shift.
0: And Dan, your thoughts? Uh, yeah you know it's uh, it was interesting before I uh, got into positive psychology um, I uh, specialized in group therapy so I was used to studying what happens to groups and what makes them functional or dysfunctional and uh, you know what are the things you can do either at work or in a therapeutic situation or educational situation where you can make that group viable and uh, there's there's something known as therapeutic factors and then we've added on to that something called character their strengths so you kind of look at those things and people and and, and whatever but one of the things in group uh is is this concept of universality that if you really want a group to become cohesive um uh it, then get a group where everybody understands what's going on uh because if I'm going through a divorce and you're going through a divorce and next then we all have a common language. That's why the 12-step programs are so good because people come in, you, you can tell your story, but everybody gets those things, whatever it is that you'd be struggling with. Well, this is the first time in history that the world has universality. Everybody has to deal with this. And two things come from that. Um, and the two that are directly related to universality are altruism and hope. And so it means, you know, it, it's like whoever runs the universe hit the reset button. Because <laughs> we were, we were kind of going that direction. Right. And it says, wait a minute now, what do we need? Oh. We need universality. How about this? All right, boom, we do that. And then the second thing is now we want people to be a little kinder to one another. I mean, I'm from New Jersey. Kindness is not in our blood, all right? Uh, we just, I'll just say it. That's not true, by the way. Uh, but uh, usually we stick to ourselves and we really don't bother with a lot of folks. I tell you, I take a walk now around the block. Everybody who sees me and who I see, how you doing? How's it going? What's happening? <laughs> we start these conversations. It's a little bit kinder. I know there are still problems, but if you look at it just from the idea of group, you see university, universality, altruism, and hope starting to uh, emerge, and that that warms my heart.
1: Yeah, and and I'm I'm incredibly hopeful that unlike. Uh, would have been cyclical responses to disasters that this not be of short duration, yeah because oftentimes when you have you know you have the things that humanity often responds to earthquake tornado hurricanes, for example, uh, wildfires in the West, and oftentimes certainly locally we rise up and embrace the community and um, uh, but but this is going to be a much more universal. You know, embrace and perhaps, after being in the valley of dissonance for so long, you know this realization that perhaps that was leading to no good end. And whoever uh, the divine architect of this thing called life is, uh, kind of um, as as the young younger generation likes to say, kind of put us in check. uh, (laughs) You know, and said, um, you know, wait a minute. And you know, I find no better example of that. then who is really pushing us forward and through this? And it is those segments of society that we have either not fully appreciated what they do, the nurse, the mailman, uh, Mm -hmm. the teacher. But they're the ones who are, who, you know, independent of who you see on, you know, social media timelines and big platforms and big followers. Like those are the real uh, heroes and sheroes uh, that I am really hopeful that, you know, that gesture, that Dan, that you described, or Tamara, how you're talking about the conversations that, that you're having with managers about those people that we say, you know, that man coming to pick up my garbage has got a much deeper story than I realize. And I shouldn't spend some time less caught up in all of the affect and shine of the world. Because yeah. we really don't really give a damn how many Twitter followers he has. And right. I he's doing that's meaningful and important to society uh certainly you know awoken me to that you know um uh, as well so i'm uh i'm appreciative of of this time and and this conversation as i wanted to ask you one 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 last thought um about what is what is um giving you uh, that, and I'm gonna use your term um, uh, and, and change this, what I was originally gonna ask, but in the midst of all this, um, i asked you, Dan, because um, this is the work that's coming out for you in June, but how are you learning hopefulness in the midst of, of this crisis?
0: I think the, the number one thing is um, relationships that, uh, I've learned to more deeply cherish relationships. And you, you put it so beautifully when, um, you know, people that, um, you, you might not have, uh, known more than their first name. Um, there's, there's just much more, uh, depth now, uh, a moment. How are you doing? How's, how, how's your family? Um, those are questions that, Two months ago, um, uh, I might not have taken the time to ask or they asked me. And and so one of the things about relationships now is that we're we're making time uh, to... Keep that connection viable, and to really show one another that we cherish it. Um, I've been advocating for for a long time, but now I'm actually doing it. You know, write to the people who have influenced you that you might not see. Write to your teachers. Write to the people that were mentors. Uh, write. You know, let them know uh, that you're thinking about them and care about them. And then, you know, that's one of those things where if you can get filled up by giving it, and they get filled up by. Receiving Receiving it, um, that's that's really about as good as it can get. So that that's coming to focus much more for me now. Yeah, well said, Tamra. Learn
1: learned hopefulness.
2: I would say really putting the focus back on the conversation around mental health. Um, what I am hoping for is that. Now that there is a positive focus on helping employees deal with their mental health concerns during COVID-19, that when this pandemic is over, those conversations don't stop. Mm -hmm. So I've been also having those conversations where it's like, it's great that we're doing this now. We're having all this understanding around people's needs now because we're all going through this thing. But when we're not all going through this thing anymore, we still need to support these people who might be going through a different issue. It's not COVID-19, but it's something else. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if this is really an answer to your question, but I'm hopeful that we will continue to have these conversations around how we can support people in their um, mental health struggles and concerns beyond the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: That 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 will be one of the bigger challenges is the desire to return to normalcy in all of the security that normalcy usually provides us, all of us. Um, you know how now, having spent at least some time in the world of anxiety and uncertainty, uh, how do you not make that a memory, and then how do you recognize that it now mm. be that solution? Mm-hmm you know will be one of our, our challenges but uh well i i I know that you know as chRO of work human and I said earlier that you know the list the chats that I saw and I'll be honest i uh, you know I, I didn't quite um, use the word mental health but i I said uh, boy, this is anxiety, this is uncertainty. And uh, so prior to us jumping on this call, I was spending some time with my team, probably spent maybe 15 to 20 minutes going through uh, everything that we needed to do to respond to some of what I saw uh, last week. And so, you know, we're going to and that plan will unfold and some of it will incorporate exactly what the two of you have have described. So. Uh, I I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed this conversation, how much of your thoughts, recommendations that I know our listeners and our audience is going to enjoy uh, and how I will directly apply that to a lot of the work that we're doing to take care of our people. HR, Terry uh, knows well, HR, I, I consider us, we're the people who take care of people so they can take care of people, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks to both of you for helping, uh, helping all of us uh, do that. And again, uh, from our family uh, to your family, uh, stay safe and healthy and well.
2: Thank you Thank so you. much,
1: appreciate it. Thank you. It was great chatting with you, Dan and Tamara. And thanks for all of your insights and perspectives. It occurred to me talking to, to both of them that paying attention to our own well-being and that of our families and also our employees is essential as we continue to navigate the uncertainties and the anxieties of COVID-19. And it wasn't lost on me in hearing uh, them describe conversations that they're having that uh, we need not sit in judgment and we should actually be expecting uh, that there is uncertainty and anxiety even if our employees don't necessarily Uh, share that directly uh, with us. We will push through these incredibly challenging times and they are challenging, but so has our response that has been uh, equally inspirational as well. And it should be the reason that we are all, as Dan so beautifully said, learning hopefulness. Thanks for joining me today and we'll see you soon.